Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and this is another episode in a series, the series of Spectrum Analysis. This is the first of another trilogy, this one planned this time, uh, about relationships and ASD in general. But today we're going to focus on friendships and ASD. Uh, this came about because I uh, recently encountered someone in my work who was having some real troubles with socialising, but what this person had done was they had put all their... Um, banked all their happiness on being able to have friends. And one of the things that the patient said was that... Uh, me, along with the other people at this meeting, couldn't understand what they were going through because that we were in a privileged situation, being in relationships, having friends, having jobs, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, that certainly is true. Uh, what had happened was this person had gone through social skills training as an adult, uh, tried to make friends, but had some negative uh, interactions with them, uh, abusing them on Facebook, all kinds of really bad stuff, right? And so, of course, they, they were, and they were lonely. And, they, and that was the source of a lot of their anguish. And it was completely understandable. Like, I listened to this story and I thought, I, I, I hear your pain. I, I feel really sorry for you. Except, then th that was like the doctor part of me. But the person part of me thought, if I encounter you socially, I don't think I'd want to be friends with you either. But, it, and, you know, it wasn't because of the autism, but there was just something about this person's demeanor that was really off-putting they were morose but also arrogant and really definitive and like there were certain elements that were very classic autism but to the point where it was kind of off-putting and it was in, in a way it felt sort of self-defeating so I really wanted to help this person but they didn't want help what they were asking for they were like I just need someone who will match make me with friends who will put me in a situation where I can meet other people but Trying to explain the nuances of developing friendships, trying to explain to someone who, who struggles with that, the idea that even if you get put in a situation where you have people who might have common interests, it doesn't guarantee that they'll like you or you'll like them. It doesn't guarantee that down the track you won't lose that friendship. To be able to sort of put all that into words in a way that they understand was really difficult. Because every time I tried to sort of talk about the greyness of friendships, this patient just just lost it at me and said, no, you're too confusing. You don't make any sense. And that made, like, I, I get it. I get, if you, if you're, if you're struggling with autism, then yeah, you, that's, that's going to be a really hard concept to grasp. So I, I just wasn't really sure what to do in that scenario. How much do you put on them? But it, it just made me think how, how important social connections are. Yeah. Social connections are very important. And I guess he, probably had a genuine desire to have the social connections, even though he didn't really know how to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, that's one of those autism myths, that people with autism don't want friends. It's it's not yes, true. that is definitely a myth. It's, it's that people with autism take in too much information, and they, they've, they're always looking, well, not always, for a lot of people on the spectrum, uh, there are they're always looking for the process, looking for the rules, the answers. And socialising is one of those things in life that just doesn't have a clear formula. There's no, you know, no equations, no set of circumstances that equate to developing uh, a really good friendship. Like my, my best friend, who I've been friends with since I was 12, our friendship happened just because he, one day I got home and he called me on the phone and we ended up talking for, I'm pretty sure, about four or five hours. 
Um, and that's all I remember of the conversation. I don't remember the content. I don't remember what we talked about, but that was just the start of it. And we've been friends ever since, but I don't, I don't, I didn't do anything to create this. It didn't just sort that of... That is very true. Knowing that friendship, I when you said you've talked on the phone for five hours, I'm like, so you talked for half an hour, you talked for four and a half yeah. hours. <laughs> you listened for four and a half hours. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe... Which is what you... Like, nothing against the guy. That's what you want. Yeah. And you know, our, our relationship has become much more balanced, the, you know, over the years. Mm. I've become more talkative. But there was a point mind. where you would say, I never call him. He always calls me. But that suits you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, it suit, and it apparently suited him. So it wasn't a problem. Mm. So it just, it, it, again, thinking about it in that sense, friendships are just such luck. Like you can you can put in all the right equations. You can you can try to put in, like one of the things that I find is that I socialize better when there's an activity. I hate going into a situation that is just for the sake of socializing. It drives me absolutely insane uh, because I I don't have a foundation. It's it's like you know trying to walk through quicksand. You just I, I constantly feel off balance. Like at any minute I'm just going to be sucked in and just drown. Uh, so. Whereas if it's something like so, one of the things that I do is I go to trivia on a Wednesday night. And I love it. Uh, I love trivia. I love quizzes. Surprise, surprise. And I I sort of formed a group out of that through friends of friends. And now we see each other every Wednesday. And I, I, I really like them. I like hanging out with them. They're good to spend time with, even if the trivia is not there. But I, I know for me that it had to start with an activity. I couldn't go and meet a bunch of random people. Yeah, I think, I think we've spoken about the time we went to that picnic. Mm. And we weren't really able to interact with anyone. <laughs> Yeah. Although it's funny, though, because I, I, I remember having a conversation with an old med school friend of mine who <laughs> I'm no longer friends with, not for any reason of, like, you know, we don't like each other, we just drifted apart. I laugh because one of the DSM criteria for autism is inability to maintain relationships. And anyway, um, we, we, we caught up um, a few years ago, and she I was telling her about my social awkwardness. She's like, I don't remember that at all. I remember you coming up to me, and I was really lonely and nervous, and you just walked up to me and started talking to me. And I... A, don't remember that. But B, I'm not even sure why. Like, I'm not even sure why I, I, like, I saw her and I thought, oh, maybe she was, she looked a bit nervous, a bit lonely. Maybe I'll, you know, make friends with her. But I think my guess is that it was the common ground of first day of med school. So yeah. we were all there for the same purpose, with the same intent. The activity was uni, um, and it was the start. And there was no mm. guarantee that she and I were, were going to end up friends. Like, it could have started something and just ended, gone absolutely nowhere. But we were friends, like, throughout uni. So, mm. I, don't, I don't It's know. a bit like that, how do you know the party person question. Like, that kind of, like, you're, at, you're like, saying, okay, I'm at a party or a wedding... So I know this person must have some connection to this other person. Yeah. So I'll just go up and say, how do you know? Blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, so, mid school. <laughs> yep. But yep. So there you go. That made, made an effect on her, which is good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can be luck and it can be very difficult. Um, and I think also it can become a perpetual sort of cycle of problems. Um, if you have been bullied or rejected because of your autistic behaviour, especially if you don't know what's going on and they don't know what's going on. Or they're just really mean kids. Yes. Um, like, I, I feel like I carried over the ability to be bullied from primary school to high school in a way that it must have been internalised. Because I went to a high school nowhere near my primary school. There's only one person from my primary school who went there and it was actually my friend. So... But, like, I feel like I must have entered high school with some sort of 
bullied mentality, which sort of invited the bullying from primary school to continue with an entirely new group of people. Mm. Um, so I feel like in the case of this person who's struggling in their 30s? Yes, 30s. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, you know, life can sort of get you down. Um, and I think one of, one of the things is that sometimes putting two autistic people together just doesn't work. Like, sometimes it works, yeah. but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of... Um, I've noticed it with sometimes, sometimes us and sometimes the kids. Like, you go, well, you know, you and this kid both have autism, but they might just not like that. Like, mm. um, especially Jake, he doesn't have a lot of tolerance for... Um, misbehavior in general. So um, yesterday we were doing remote learning and he said, Dad, did you know that there's a school in New Zealand with no rules? And I immediately said, you'd hate it there. And it's like, yes, if I was there, I'd quit. <laughs> and I said, well, that's fine. If you were at that school, you could quit and come home and go, Dad, why did you send me to that ridiculous school with no rules? He was like, why would anyone want to go here? <laughs> he's like, they're building tree houses. <laughs> Um, so he's never had tolerance for misbehavior. Um, and the thing is, other kids with autism can, you know, be considered misbehaving. And also they can be considered very loud, which he doesn't like either. Mm. Um, whereas he also doesn't see, um, when he melts down, he wouldn't see that as misbehavior because he's like, I can't help it. Yeah. But when they melt down, he might be like, why are they acting like that? Yeah. Um, so I think we've taught him some, um... Tolerance and sympathy. And I think, you know, having a twin uh, with autism has also taught both of them a bit of more tolerance and understanding of other people with autism. I think it's also a social skills thing, that the, the virtue of having siblings, particularly a twin. Yeah. I think you, you sort of, you incidentally have practice at interacting with your peers. And, you know, we spend a lot of effort moderating their behaviours too, trying to teach them about how to be empathetic, how to regulate your emotions, you know, if you need to separate yourself when you're feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, um, how to take turns, you know, the, so Jake and Matt uh, really enjoy some imaginative play with their soft toys. Uh, and, they're, like, they're getting better and better at it, but early on, there was a lot of struggle because, one, they, they each want to be in charge. Yeah. They each wanted to, to play in their own way. Because they thought it was the right way. Exactly. So why wouldn't you want to play the right way? Exactly, right? And then and then there'd be the issue of fairness, which we've talked about before, mm. about, well, is it about taking turns? Is it about concessions? Like, what what is the balance? And it's so hard to explain that. To any child, but particularly one with autism. Mm. Uh, so, but again, I think by virtue of experience, they got lucky, and so the interactions they have with their, you know, their friends, I find to be it seems to be fairly balanced, and they seem to understand. Like, there's certainly been no complaints of them being, um, I guess, overly bossy. Whereas I know that there are some kids at the school that are really bossy about yes. how the social interactions occur. Like the feedback I normally get about the kids, interestingly, is that they're normally too passive and mm. not bossy enough. <laughs> mm. um, which I think is one of the things with the twins is that sometimes they'll do behavior to each other that they wouldn't do to anyone else. Yeah. Like I remember when I was, you know, when they were young at the park, if they, if, you know, they ever heard a kid, it was their twin. So I'm like, it's okay. I don't have to deal with any other parent. <laughs> I just have to deal with myself because one of my children is hurting the other child. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like they, they, you know, go down the slide when the other one was only halfway up, but they'd never do that to another kid. Mm. Um, they would, yeah, they wouldn't even think about doing that to another kid, but their brother, yeah. 
So I, I never had to like feel bad about going, oh, I'm really sorry. My child hurt your child. Mm. So yeah, I think one, like, the, one of the things with, I guess, the twins and us and what you're talking about before is that you and Matt are probably very passive with your friendships. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas I'm, I'm more active in my friendships. And I feel like Jake might be more active as well. It's a bit hard to say. But I feel, I feel like he's definitely more active with his friendships than Matt from what we've observed from them remote schooling. Mm. Um, like, he will actually initiate, you know, FaceTime calls. Whereas... Matt would just be like, eh, no one called me today. I don't mind. La, la, la. <laughs> oh, someone's calling me. Eh, okay. I'll talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Which I think we've, we've talked about before. We've talked about, you know, the, how the kids make friendships. And that, that still worries me. That, mm. again, it's the maintains friendships thing. And I, I know I'm certainly guilty of that too. I, I know there are a lot of friends that I have who I genuinely like. Like, I enjoyed their company. I enjoy spending time with them. But if they're passive and I'm passive... And we don't, we just don't engage with each other. The relationship kind of fizzles out. And then I, afterwards, I kind of get sad about it going, oh, why, you know, why did this friendship not persist? Yes. So there's actually another couple um, who we know where um, one of them is quite outgoing and one of them is quite introverted. Mm. And you and the introverted partner cannot really interact that well. Because neither of you would say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kind of need at least one of us to be there. So <laughs> to, true. Just to start the three-way conversation. <laughs> yep. But then I, yeah, I think with the introverted one, sometimes I just, I have to sort of just pull back and go, it's okay that I'm not saying anything. It's like, it's okay that I'm not having a long conversation. But something, it's, it's funny. I One of the things I realized when I was in uni is that... Social interactions go better for me when I am in the majority. So, for example, if we go back to the trivia example, we were getting um, people bringing friends of friends mm-hmm. all of the time, right? Uh, and I would go to great lengths to make sure that a new person was spoken to. So I'd ask them questions and get to know them. But if the reverse were true, so if I were the new person to a group and I was in the party, I would sit back and do absolutely nothing, completely frozen in the, what do I say, what do I do, how do I behave? Yes, which is why you couldn't find people to play badminton with after your friend's... Started having babies. Yeah. Oh, I, um, yeah, that was, that was infuriating. So I, you know, I'd play badminton with these people that I wasn't the closest with, but we were sort of friends and friends of friends, Mm. but gradually the numbers started dropping off for various reasons. And so then I went to a social badminton group, which was, you know, was, I think you might've suggested or someone suggested it. And I thought, oh, well, if I like badminton, that's the thing to do. But I was frozen. Like I'd get there and I wouldn't know how to start a conversation. I wouldn't know how to ask someone to play a game. Mm. Like the whole thing would be unbelievably awkward but also I was one of the few people who was there by themselves yes. so everyone else had brought a friend who were they were kind of partnering up with and so I just I gave up on the whole experience and decided well I like badminton but not enough to put myself through this kind of hell yeah so it needs to be the right activity because mm. I think the same thing happened to you with the boxing class because it was sort of a paired activity and you used to go by yourself yeah like you originally you had a lot of trouble but I think you then you found someone who you would often pair up with but yeah. then they stopped coming, and then you stopped going. Yeah, well, there was, there was, well, it wasn't that wasn't just a social thing. It was a physical mismatch issue because I'm not, mm. I'm not the strongest, I'm not the weakest. But by by virtue of people pairing up with their friends or coming along with someone who was of equal kind of physicality, I yeah. could never quite find a match. So at one point, I'm I'm about five foot seven and about eighty kilos. I was paired up with like a five foot four 
40 kilo woman because she was just the only one who didn't have a partner. I thought, I'm not getting anything out of this. I can't... Like, don't get me wrong, short people can be strong. She wasn't. And that's mm. and that's not her fault. She was there to train and to upskill. But it just didn't work. It, it, I just could never find a match. And I was really frustrated that my fitness depended on someone else being of a certain way. Whereas going to like a like a, a body attack class. It didn't matter what other people did. It mm-hmm. was just me following along and I could do it at my own pace in, in my own way and it was fine. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I've, I think... Coming back to this patient that I saw, um, the, the problem with the patient was that he wanted the world to change for him. He wanted the world to change around him because he's like, I've done all the work. I've tried. It hasn't worked. It's not fair that I don't have friends and everyone else has friends. But he, he kept using this term, perfect life. He's like, I know that you're not perfect, but you have the perfect life. When actually what he meant was, you have the thing that I want, yeah. right? which is the friends and the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think I just, it was just kind of, I'd kind of gotten to this point in my life where I thought, okay, I have to decide for myself what is worth it. And I have to accept the fact that some things on balance aren't worth it. So as much as I might like badminton, if the socializing is too much for me, then I'm, I just have to be willing to give it up and not lament the fact or blame other people for not trying hard enough to engage with me, which is what I very, very much used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like when I was younger, and I, when I say younger, I mean into my 20s. I used to be very much like, why aren't you putting in effort to our friendship? And in a way, I think I, got, I was um, spoiled really. I was going to say blessed, but really it was spoiled because of my best friend, because mm-hmm. he was so outgoing and so proactive and would call me, like, we would, we would talk every day when we were in high school, and then we went out every second day, and now it's kind of every week. But the fact of the matter is, it's still once a week at least, we yeah. have a casual conversation. Um, and it's mostly because he calls. And I, sometimes I call, but I, but I get paralyzed by the Am I interrupting him? Yeah. Am I am I calling when he's in the middle of something? Is he about to reject me? He's about to say no, I'll call back. And none of that should matter because mm. we're still friends. But I it it frightens me. And so I don't do it. So I just I am completely spoiled by the fact that he came into my life. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I just this this patient I felt I felt really sorry for him and I I wanted to help as much as I could, but you know, I've I've had to learn for myself that the reality of life is that life is disappointing. Right? And that's the pessimist view. I get that. But life is disappointing if your expectations are too high. If you mm. think that the world has to exist by rules, if you've built up the idea that a friendship is the thing that's going to save you, if it's a thing that's going to take you out of your depression, mm-hmm. um, it's, it doesn't make it completely untrue. Yes, social connections are really important for your mental well-being. No dispute about that. But is it the be-all and end-all of your experience? And does that mean... And does that exempt you from the responsibility of maintaining a relationship? No. And being able to get that message across is so difficult. Yes. Um, And so I worry... I I guess... And then I... When... After I'd seen this guy, I said to you, I think I've seen um, the ghost of Jake's Christmas future because I just... I could see that happening. I could see that happening with Jake where if he just has these terrible experiences. Oh, and I should be clear, this patient was bullied too. Yeah. Right? So again, more disappointment. I think more... I just assumed that. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, well, it was, it was, he was traumatised, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, if Jake goes through this thing where by virtue of accident, because we can't control who our, fa- our kids go to school with, we can't control who they, go to, who, who they make friends with, we mm. can't control who they're in relationships with. If he has some negative social experiences, what does that mean? Will he also resent the world? Will he also get frustrated? Because he's so rule-oriented 
that he, he would naturally, like I did, he would naturally try to apply rules to socialising, which, you know, social skills tries to build that kind of skill ability to recognise the rules and to identify the signs, but it's not that easy. because it, Yeah, well, social skills is about teaching you the rules of how you should behave. It's not teaching you the rules of how other people will behave. Yeah, right? And so... And and that's while that's a useful skill, it's not the full the full picture no. of what socializing is. Um, and yeah, it, it frightens me that that Jake might end up like this guy through no fault of his own, through the fact that even mm. though we try really hard, even though we give him all the skills and the love and the support and do all the things we need to do, sometimes really crap things happen to our kids. And yeah, or they just have bad luck, right? Because I'd say that you know my best friend in you know early high school was probably like also luck but kind of the opposite to your friend in that i could be like really full-on and kind of weird and he was just fine with us yeah <laughs> so he was passive enough that i just kind of like just yeah i i was full-on and he just accepted my weirdness yeah um and that's what i needed whereas you need someone who would actually call you and seek you out yeah so, uh, talking about bullying, I I was bullied in primary school from about, like, grade, grade two or three, because I'd skipped a grade, and I was mm. the small Asian kid in a mostly white school, and there were lots of reasons. But it's interesting, because I don't remember half of it. Like, I just, it doesn't, it, it, it didn't traumatize me the way I, I kind of assumed it would. And it wasn't, like, physical, it was just lots of, like, threats and verbal stuff, yeah. you know? But I do remember in high school, there were a bunch of, um let's say bogans who uh who did you know call me names like like fag and stuff mm-hmm. but it washed over me like i remember it happening but i fought back and i didn't care and mm. i think a lot of that was probably because i had friends because i had a really tight-knit group of people and it didn't matter to me that these other people were jerks to me because i had i had really loyal really kind uh like-minded friends and we all just stood up for each other and I'm really, I feel really lucky like that, that it just, it, yeah. yeah, I, I, I do recall, you know, receiving some verbal abuse, but it just, it, it never affected me. Uh, mm. And I, I think that's, you know, if nothing else, that's what I want for our kids is just to have that security to know that, yeah, okay, there are going to be people out there who are not going to like you for stupid reasons, really, really stupid reasons. But so long as you remember that you have... Um, you know, friends and family that love you, mm. that, you know, that that's that's what you can fall back on. And I know that it doesn't always work for everyone. I know that there are plenty of parents of bullied kids who, who love their kids to absolute death and their kids just still feel traumatised by it. Yeah. So it's it's not quite that simple. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I, I really want the kids, our kids to know that and to feel it. I think it's fe- more feeling it than knowing it. Mm. Well, I, I'd say that you might better get that through to Jake, but you might have more trouble getting that through to Matt. How do you figure? I think Matt will take everything personally. Yeah. Yeah. He, he always takes everything personally. Um, and I think his likability is a very important thing to him, whereas I don't think Jake cares if he's liked. Mm. Yeah, so he doesn't care. Yeah, he wouldn't really be affected by it. He, just, he would probably just say, oh, that's not, that's not correct, or that's misbehavior, and probably ignore it. Yeah. Because, yeah, there has been, yeah, some things I've known of. And it doesn't seem to affect Jake. Okay. Um, Like, there's been less bullying than I expected, which I think I've spoken about how awesome the school is. Yeah. 
For sure. But when these do arise, he doesn't seem to get affected by them. Mm. Whereas Matt does. Yeah. Well, she told that that story. The the one. So there was. Um, we've we've had conferences with Matt's teachers in the past, uh, and all of them have been when told that Matt has autism. They're like, really? We never see it. You'd never know. And we're like, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, but one of them, his grade two teacher, actually got to witness it. Yeah. So we we did pre warn. Like we told her, and she's like, really? I would have no idea. Although I think she'd been told he had autism, but she hadn't seen anything in there. And I think we told her that he's very sensitive to certain things. Um, and I, I think I didn't tell her as much as I told the grade one teacher, because I feel like I told the grade one teacher all this stuff, and then she never saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the grade two, I said less, um, because I wanted to just let them have whatever you know relationship they had. Um, but yeah, so there was one, so the one day where like shortly after we had our get to know you parent interview where Matt came out with one of his friends and he was obviously quite upset. And he, this is a lovely boy who's always looked after him from prep. Mm. Um, and this other boy told me that they'd been doing a, um, like a word game. So the teacher would give clues and the clues were in the form of the, like, I can't remember the little, I think it was, um, Silly Sally or something. So Silly Sally liked uh, things that had no double letters, but didn't like things with double letters. So the teacher had said, um, like, Silly Sally likes Jake, but doesn't like Matt. Like, Jake wasn't in the class, but she just died that as an example because they were twins. And Matt was devastated. He started crying. He had a meltdown. And it really took the teacher by surprise, even though we told her this could happen. Mm. Because this was probably about a term in, and she'd never seen any sign of this before. But once it happened, it happened. Like, he was just devastated at just the concept of a fictional character not liking him. Mm. So, I I got an email from the teacher as well as this lovely boy bringing him out and explaining the entire thing to me while Matt just stood there being sad. So, yeah, the teacher was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't I didn't mean for this to happen. I'm like, it's okay. I know you didn't mean for it to happen. And, and you know, a negative feedback from Jake can also devastate Matt. Mm. Um, even though, you know, it's balanced against a lot of good stuff, he'll focus on the negative, which is a bit like you. So maybe this is the episode about how <laughs> Matt and you are similar oh, <laughs> socially. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is a, look, the, the reality is that although autism is a spectrum, the, the, the fact of the matter is that the, the traits are shared. Yes. You know, there, there are commonalities for a reason. This is why we, we can give it a label, why we can say that people who on the surface may not appear to have the same kind of traits do still have it because they just, it, it presents itself in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. Whereas you do, I think... But to bring it back to friendship, I think you developed a thing where you just cut people out as soon as there's any sign. Oh yeah, I just I I know that I can't tolerate uh, certain things because I my my memory is very selective. But when I it, I often remember the bad things better than I do the good yeah, things. Yeah, you'd be like today, like two hundred patients liked me and one didn't. Yeah, why didn't they like me? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, or there was there was an incident with you and a friend where this friend had cut themselves off from you. Yeah. And you you actually reconciled with them to some degree. Not to the same extent, but yeah. I was very much like, nope, not interested, not going to reconcile, I'm done, just yeah. cut. And I, I, I barely had anything to do with this person, but this, when I did interact with them, I liked them. Mm. But this one negative event that hurt you really badly, I just went, nope. Sorry, can't do it anymore. Yeah. Because the problem is, it for me, it's a it's it's poisonous. Like mm. it taints the relationship. The all any negative thing is always going to be something that will. I'll, I'll never quite feel the same way about that person. And mm. I feel like if I can't do that, and I if I wasn't that close to him to begin with, then I'm just like it's just easy if I cut you off. You know, there are I've got friends in my life who I you know to some degree there's something they disagree with, or sometimes I find them frustrating. But when the good overwhelms the bad. Um, then I'm like, okay, I'd rather have you in my life than not. You mm. know, so it's not quite immediate, but certainly if you're on the fringe and you do something that pisses me off, you're gone and I'm done. And I just, I, I don't have any energy. Like I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have energy to work on it because, mm. it, you know, in a way, and this is self-defeating, I have, I feel like I have enough friends in my life. I have, you know, my trivia group, we've got our board games gang, I've got my best friend, I've got you... I've got I've got all these people that I'm okay with. Like I'm not the kind of person who needs to be friends with everyone who needs to have a large group of people. But it's self defeating because what happens if I lose touch with these people? Whether mm. they move away into state, so it's not that we dislike each other. It's just it becomes harder to interact. Yeah. Um, obviously, if they if um, our jobs mean that we can't see each other as much, like if if something outside of our control affects the relationship mm. I'm going to be the first person to to go oh too hard can't be bothered but it means that that's one less friend from an already very narrow list of friends mm. um, but it's all I can cope with I mean that's really the reality I, just, I don't have enough energy to be able to work you know spend time alone be, be a parent be a husband and be someone's friend mm. all at the same time it just I, I don't know how to manage all that yeah so, is there any positive thing to end on? <laughs> uh, look, like, do you think there's hope for this patient? I do, and I don't. I, I guess part of the issue is I don't. I don't know this patient well enough to know whether or not his perspective on life has been coloured by his trauma. It probably it, look. It undoubtedly has, but to what extent I don't know. And that that was the hard part. Having met him for the first time, how much of it was the trauma versus how much of it was the autism? And they're mm. going to be inextricably linked like I know that for a fact mm-hmm. but there's only so much I can do for the tra- I'm sorry there's nothing to do for the autism I can do something for the trauma from a medical perspective but the, tr- the, the, the autism is hard because what it inherently depends on is that you have to acknowledge that you have to change to some degree mm-hmm. it is the balance other people have to change around you too but the thing is is that if all your worst traits are front and centre when you meet someone they're not going to want to invest the time. They're not going to go, oh, well, I'll give you a few months and let's build a friendship and hopefully we'll have enough good stuff that the bad stuff becomes novel or becomes mm. a blip, you know? Uh, and, like, that sucks. That sucks. Like, I really... You know, we talk, we talk about social skills groups. So, you know, for they have... Um, Jake used to go to a social skills group, but he's not friends with any of those people. It was just about training him up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? But None it, of the kids knew how to interact well enough to make friends. But this guy, this patient of mine, he wanted a matchmaker, like a friend mm. matchmaker. And he did also want a relationship thing, but that's going to be a separate episode, thus a trilogy. Yeah. But... Um, the point is he wanted a friend matchmaker, someone to put him in a situation where he could interact with other people and build friendships. And he even talked about the fact that 
I, I asked him, what do you think your role is as a friend? And he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm there to be loyal and to defend them. And I'm like, that's beautiful. Except what happens when you disagree with them? And he's like, oh, well, we'll try to compromise. Otherwise, I'll let it go. And that, it was such a rehearsed answer. It was the mm. thing that he probably got taught in social skills to do. But the problem was he couldn't control his anger. He had severe yeah. emotional dysregulation. And so if he disagreed with someone, it wouldn't be a matter of, oh, let's compromise. He would yell at them. He would mm. tell them off. He would say, yo, you're wrong. Why are you thinking that? Like, that was just, that was what I got when I first met him. Just this barrage of you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And so... I can't, like, again, I felt really bad for the guy, and there was only mm. so much you could help. So it was this vicious cycle of he wanted friends, but he didn't know how to maintain friendships. And so how much can you teach someone, particularly if they don't want to learn? Like, if he's decided that the world is at fault and he's not at fault, where do you go from there? What do you do? So I guess if we're looking for a positive, I guess what I would, is not positive like that exists necessarily, but it's, it's a hope. So mm. I would hope that... If you have a neurotypical child, or if you know someone who's neurotypical or neuroatypical, and there were certain things about them that you thought were abrasive or difficult to, to sort of be around, if you can just teach your child to just put in that bit of extra effort. I know it's not the child's responsibility. I mean, that's, that's a whole different kettle of fish, right? But if we could just all give us each other a chance to be able to be in a situation with someone who has trouble socialising but really wants it, like mm. really wants to feel a connection, to feel less lonely. Just put in the effort a little bit. You are not required to love them. Of course not. That's fine. If you don't get along, you don't get along, right? That is everyone's right to choose who their friends are. But for certain neuroatypical people, you have to just push past the initial bit because the initial bit might be nerves, it might be just yeah. they're, they're nervous and they don't know what to say. They haven't figured out how to interact. Some of it's training. Like, I know that my best friend and I, we've had arguments about how we want to interact with each other and, how, you know, whose turn is it to listen and all that. But we worked through it and we figured it out and we always came back to the idea that we wanted to be friends. Like, we wanted to be part of each other's lives. And once again, that was... It, it was luck. It was that the good was so overwhelmed the bad that as, as frustrating as the argument was, we knew we wanted to figure out what our relationship was, how we would interact... Mm-hmm. To make it better. But if, if you don't get that opportunity, like if, if I if either he or I just cut each other off and said, no, nah, one fight, we're done. I'm not yeah. interested. Then that's one less person in our, each of our lives, my life particularly, that I have no connection to. Mm-hmm. So I would want anyone out there who, who yeah, who, who just, who knows this issue, who, who recognizes this existing, just to... Put a little bit of effort. Because it comes both ways. If you are neuroatypical, you have to recognize your own limitations, but you just got to put in the effort because it can be worth it. It can be. If you're a neurotypical who knows someone who is neuroatypical, put in the effort. Because you never know. You just never know what kind of things you're going to connect on. Mm -hmm. And you might get... And you're going to get a really loyal friend from it. Mm. most, Most likely. That's... So that's probably my end point, I guess. Yeah. I I think that's a good one. Like... Yeah, give people a second chance and don't don't assume first impressions is everything. Mm. My other thing when you told me about it was I suggest you had a dog to begin with. Yeah. Start with a dog. Yeah. Because then you can have a loyal friend you can control. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and then move on to having multiple friends, human friends. Yep. And then maybe a relationship. I feel like that would be the um, progress. Which does sound a bit like coming out of AA, I think. 
<laughs> at least from that Sandra Bullock movie I once watched. <laughs> where apparently you had to start with a plant, then a dog. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you can skip the plant if you're autistic and just um, go for the dog. But it's also, I mean, and I, I, I think... The and dog- also, dogs can start conversations. Like, probably not during coronavirus. I thought you were about to say, like, dogs can talk back to you. No, that's not right. <laughs> no, no, no. You, like, you just go to the... Do- <laughs> like, once... Once coronavirus is under control... Yeah. You can go to the dog park... Yeah, and, and start- people come up and talk to the dog. Yeah. So, I get a sociable dog, not like our dog, who used to be just angry at all other dogs. Because <laughs> that would not start conversations, or not pleasant conversations. Yes. Yeah. But it, it's an entry point. It's trivia. Yeah. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's it's the thing that connects you that is obvious and tangible. Yeah. And then from there, you can build. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I, and I think I want to bring up the dog thing in, in the next, the relationships episode, because I think the other thing why I think a, a dog is a good example is. It's an example of having a relationship with someone you can only control to a limit, but someone you have to adapt to. Mm-hmm. You still have to feed the dog, walk the dog, make time for it. So your life can't just stay what, like what it is, and the dog adapts around you. Yeah. You have to try and meet it halfway to some degree. And that's a, that is a skill to learn. Mm. And with a dog, there might be a little bit less... Um, risk of, you know... The dog will give you a second chance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Alright, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you have any comments you'd like to share, uh, let us know at The Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to share uh, any links that we put up with your friends and let them know that we're actually doing a good job if you think we're doing a good job. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.